it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations. Uh, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In those living in darkness, in a deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have, he had, uh, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They have rejoiced before you as people rejoice by the harvest. A warrior rejoice. They have des- uh, divided the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered. The yoke of a burning burns them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod um, of their oppress, each warrior's boot used in battle, and it, every garment rolled in, in in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for its fire. For you, for to us a child is born, for us a son is given. And the governments will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatest of his government and peace. There will be no more end. He will reign on David's throne and on his kingdom, establishing and upholding this with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, Merry Christmas and peace be with you. My name is Nathan, and I have the privilege to preach from God's word this morning. Today we'll be considering what the title Prince of Peace means. You may have seen the title Prince of Peace on a Christmas billboard at Westfield or sing about it in a Christmas carol, but what does it actually mean? And why do we celebrate it and sing about it at Christmas time? This is where we're going today, so how about I lead us in prayer that God will speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Dear God, you are a God of peace, and you speak to us through your word. Open our hearts and minds to understand and be convicted of the truth of the Prince of Peace. In your son's name, amen. I used to be a high school teacher, and I remember one of the first times I taught. It's after lunch on a Friday afternoon. I'm walking from the quiet calm of the staff room to the classroom. As I approach the door, I see that the doors are already open. It's meant to be closed because the students are meant to wait outside, but it's already open and I hear a really loud noise. Hey, lots of loud noises. To my surprise, there's a couple of boys lounging on the chairs, feet up on the tables, and sweating from playing soccer. They're the soccer boys. I try to tell them off, but they ignore me. I'm flustered and I'm not sure what to do. As I'm thinking, the rest of the class starts to come in, loud and unsettled. I speak up to instruct them and take their proper seats, but since the soccer boys have already taken 
whatever seat they want, um, it means that the rest of them end up sitting where they want to sit, which means lots and lots of noise. It's chaos. It's chaos. Students are doing whatever they want, talking loudly, some even standing on chairs, and I don't know what to do. I wish I knew how to control the class. I felt completely out of control. Can you relate to my struggle? Maybe not as a high school teacher, but perhaps you have also had times when you felt out of control. And perhaps you say to yourself and ask yourself, I need help, but who's going to help me? In our Bible passage today, God's people of the Old Testament, who are called the Israelites, are feeling similar. It's around 700 BC, and the superpower nation of Assyria is going to attack them. There will be swords clashing and slashing, lots of noise, shouting, and chaos. This will continue happening until they are defeated and taken captive. It will be a time of gloom and darkness. Life for the Israelites is out of their control. It's chaos. And I'm sure many of them were asking, we need help, but who's going to help us? Well, God gives them his answer in a passage in Isaiah 9. He says that he'll send someone to help them. He says that, that someone will bring a day when there will be no more chaos, that his people in darkness will see great light, that there will be rejoicing and victory over the Assyrian oppressors, that there will be an end to the battles and the war. Verse 6 to 7 describes who God has sent to help. So I'll read verse 6 for us, and it's on the screen as well. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The word child here, it emphasizes that the one to come is a human being. The word son, it's a reference from a previous prophecy of a son of God figure from David's line, that this son will be God's son and will reign and rule. And this is why he's called the Prince of Peace at the end of verse 6. He is the prince because he will reign and rule as the descendant from David. So what will his reign and rule look like? Well, verse 7 tells us. I'll read it out. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It says that his government will be great and everlasting. He will rule mightily and forever. His rule will be far greater than the king of Assyria and far greater than the president of the United States. In our passage, this promised ruler is called the Prince of Peace. He is the prince in that he will rule and have power. But what does it mean for someone to be a ruler of peace, a prince of peace? When I was in my chaotic classroom with students shouting and standing on chairs, 
and with me fully flustered, not knowing what to do, something suddenly changed. I could feel it in the air. The students suddenly shut their mouths. They sat straight up with a startled look on, on their face. I noticed that they were looking towards the door. So I look as well, and I see the principal. Ooh. You see, the principal is the big boss of the school. He could call their parents instantly or get the students expelled. He has great power and authority and rule, and he could bring an end to the chaos. However, the principal's rule in that moment doesn't actually bring about peace. There's definitely silence. There's a fear of punishment, but there's not actually peace. You see, the common definition of peace nowadays is the absence of conflict or war, uh, like a peace treaty, or the absence of noise, like having uh, the students or your children quiet. But the definition of peace in Hebrew means so much more. The word peace to the Jewish people in its original language is shalom. Shalom means wholeness and completeness. It's used to describe the final brick being placed when constructing a house, or the final IKEA piece being put in place. The object has no missing pieces. It's now complete and made whole. Every piece is in perfect relationship with each other. This completeness and wholeness, it applies to relationships as well. Shalom is when there's reconciliation and healing of a broken relationship. Shalom is about the harmony of relationships between God, between people, and between things. It's a relational term. It's about restoring everything to its right and harmonious relationship. It's how things were always meant to be. I'm sure it's what most of us wish and desire in our hearts. We wish not just for war to end, but for there to be shalom, to be a restoration of relationship, for kindness and love between countries, that they were turned from enemies to friends. We wish, or at least I wish, for selfless collaboration between students in, in the classroom, uh, where there's a safe learning environment where teachers and students respect, listen, and care for one another. And we also wish for it in our own relationships, in our lives as well. I remember when I had a falling out with a friend. I didn't realize that I, that I was forgetting and neglecting our friendship. So my friend brought it up with me, and when they did, my heart broke. We both ended up sharing how we both felt and how our friendship has faded over the years. And we both were tearing up because of the breakdown in our friendship. In that moment, I felt so strongly in my heart that desire for restoration, that we could relate to one another well again. And as I look back on that time, I realized that I desired shalom. So I apologized and asked for forgiveness. They accepted the apology. And now we have steps in place to intentionally maintain our friendship better. There's now shalom between us. And I'm so thankful for that. Perhaps you've been in a similar scenario and have felt the same way that I felt. 
a feeling of a heavy heart, really wishing and desiring shalom. Perhaps for shalom between friendships you have, shalom between countries in war, or for shalom over the whole world. I'm sure the Israelites felt that desire as they were under a serious rule. I'm sure we feel this in our chaotic world today. But you see, with even our best intentions and our best efforts, it seems hopeless, doesn't it? There's still breakdowns of relationships amongst our family and friends. There's still conflict and wars going on around the world. We clearly need help. We need this Prince of Peace. But where is this Prince of Peace, and when will he come? God's promise of this child, of this son, this Prince of Peace, comes into our world 700 years after the time of Isaiah. It comes in the birth of Jesus. As God promised, this child is born into our chaotic world to bring peace. The Christmas narrative in the Gospel of Luke in the Bible speaks into this when the angels proclaim to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Jesus is identified at the end of verse 11 as the Messiah, the Lord. The angels are saying that he is the promised one to come, the promised prince to come. And we see in verse 14 that he comes to bring peace, to bring shalom on earth. Now, you may be asking, how does Jesus bring shalom into our chaotic world? Well, Jesus in his Life and ministry, he restores relationships. He heals diseases. He calms the chaotic storms. He humbles the proud and exalts the humble. He relates well to the scum and shunned of the world by becoming friends with them. He puts things into correct relationship and order. And Jesus also addresses our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is that we are not at peace with God. We are not in a, a correct relationship with him. We have damaged our relationship with him. It's because we have selfishly only done what we want to do. We have ignored him, dis neglected him, and despised him. We have broken our relationship with God. And because God is the one who brings life, the consequence of this is ultimately death. We need someone to help us. We need someone to bring reconciliation. This someone is the Prince of Peace, Jesus. You see, we can't reconcile with God all by ourselves. A simple apology won't cut it. Because what we've done against God is so hurtful and heavy. There's nothing we can do. There needs to be a price to be paid to bring reconciliation. The payment must be appropriate and enough to make things right. A couple of years ago, I was in such a rush 
that I reversed into a car. Ah, oh, grasped. Yeah, it was bad. There was an obvious bump as well, so I got out of the car to check the damage. Let me show you the damage on the screen. Yeah, oh, ouch. Whew. It still hurts me to this day to see the image. As you can see, the tow ball on the back of my car was wedged into the other car's front bumper vent. And it just so happened that the owners of the car were inside the car as it happened. So they saw it all. Anyway, so we, uh, we agreed, we talked it out, and we agreed to try and get the tow ball out. So while they lifted the piece, I drove forward, and thankfully, it came out. But we were left with a damaged front bumper of the car, and it looked pretty bad. So I said sorry and apologized. But you see, I couldn't have just said um, sorry and left. Like I couldn't just say, oh, I'm so sorry, and then just leave and drive away. You see, a simple sorry, it's not enough. Um, I needed to pay the price to make things right between us. So we drove in our cars to the closest car repair shop in Kogra, and we asked them how much it will cost to repair the bumper. They said that they'll need to repair the whole front bumper. And they said it'll cost me $1,000. So I checked with the people who own the car, and they said the $1,000 will suffice, so I transferred them the money. I gave them a handshake, and I was on my way. You see, for me to give them that handshake and to be on my way, I needed to, I needed to make things right. There needed to be an appropriate payment that was enough for the grievance and damage caused. And this is like how Jesus brings us reconciliation with God. We damaged our relationship with God, so an appropriate payment for what we've done is needed. Because the consequence of the damage we've caused is death, it means that a life is needed as payment to make things right. And not any life, but a life of someone who's in perfect relationship with God. We as humankind, we've damaged our relationship with God, which means that we are tainted, and we're not enough to, sufficient, to sufficiently pay the price. It's sort of like if after I found out it was $1,000, I just gave them just a dollar coin. Um, it's not the appropriate cost. It's nowhere near enough. We need a perfect life, which is enough to pay the price. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus is that life. He had a perfect relationship with God. So out of his love for us, Jesus died for us. He took the consequence of death that we deserved upon himself. And because of that appropriate payment was made, we are now made right with God. We can be reconciled to God and be at peace with God. Now the story of Jesus doesn't end at his death. Three days later, he rose to life and defeated death once and for all so that we can live forever with God in perfect relationship. For those of us who believe in Jesus and what he's done for us, God now sees us as friends whom he loves. That is why Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He becomes the payment for us by giving up his life for us on the cross so that we can be at peace with God and live. Wow, what amazing news, right? So good. 
And what's mind-blowing is that the good news doesn't stop there. Not only does Jesus help us to have peace with God, but Jesus will bring peace on all of the earth as well. Jesus promises that he'll come in the future to fully restore and put things into harmonious relationship and order in the new creation, where he will wipe every tear from our eyes, where there will be no more war, chaos, death, crying, or pain, where Jesus will make everything new, true shalom. Imagine what that will be like, perfect peace, perfect shalom. It will be so good. Praise God. So what do we do now as we await Jesus' return? For those of us who are Christians, Jesus calls us to be representatives as peacemakers in our world. As we become more and more like Jesus, we, um, yes, as we become more and more like the Prince of Peace, we are to be peacemakers in our lives where God has placed us. When there are disagreements and relational breakdowns at work or in your families, you have the opportunity to be like the Prince of Peace. To be a peacemaker who seeks to reconcile by listening well, being humble, willing to apologize, and make selfless future steps to bring the situation into harmony and relating to one another well. Being a peacemaker isn't just about being happy and smiley all the time. No, it's actually about being willing to initiate in love, even if it's hard. And it's an active prayerful dependence on God as you seek to show the peace Jesus showed us. Maybe more specifically, as you go to your Christmas lunches and dinners today with friends and family, how can you be a peacemaker? Perhaps it's time to relate to one another well, even with that person who's quite different to you. Perhaps it's time to reconcile with a family member, to say sorry and ask for forgiveness. Perhaps it's time to be courageous and tell them how important the Prince of Peace is in their lives and that they need to respond to him to have peace with God. Being peacemakers can be quite difficult, and we can't do it ourselves. We need Jesus. Jesus helps us to live as peacemakers. He sustains us, and he gives us what we need. We are inspired to show peace to others as we remember our peace with God through Jesus. Now, it's important to note that we aren't able to bring peace to all situations. We are not Jesus in that we're not in um, total control and we aren't all powerful. But the great thing is, the great thing is that we serve someone who is and that gives us peace in the midst of the chaos and the unpredictability of life. We have a peace that transcends all understanding because we serve an all-powerful prince who gave up his life so that we can be at peace with God. We can talk to God because we're reconciled to him. He listens to us and loves us. We can come to God as we are, as finite and weak human beings. And we can come with our struggles. We can ask him for help, and that will put our trust in the God who sent his son to help us. Uh, for those of us here who don't believe in Jesus yet, don't you wish that this was true for you? Don't you want peace in your life? Don't you want peace with God? 
Don't you want to not have to worry about the chaoticness in the world because you know that Jesus is in full control? Well, you can receive it today. You see, who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what he offers is so amazing. That's why Christmas is such a joyful celebration. The promised Prince of Peace has come. He's given shalom to us. We don't have to earn it ourselves or prove that we're worthy, but rather he gives it to us as the ultimate gift. And we just need to receive it. You can receive this by accepting Jesus as ruler over your life, to give him the reins, knowing that he is all-powerful and all-peace-giving. You can talk to God. And just like how I apologized and asked for forgiveness from my friend, you can do this with God. With that desire to reconcile with God, apologize for, for ignoring him and living your own way. Ask for the forgiveness Jesus provides by his life, death, and resurrection. And accept Jesus as your Prince of Peace. And as the ruler of your life who brings shalom. A way that we can respond to God is by praying to him. Prayer is how we talk to God. Uh, there's a prayer that will help us to respond to what we've heard, uh, and it'll be on the screen. So this prayer here, it, firstly, it recognizes God and what he's done for us through Jesus. It then has a sentence of saying sorry to God and asking for forgiveness. It then finishes with thankfulness to God, so I'll read out it's um, just a, a short section at a time and give a pause to allow you to pray the sentence to God in your head and in your heart. If you'd like to respond to God in prayer, uh, please join me now in prayer. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus. who's the Prince of Peace into our chaotic world. We are sorry for damaging our relationship with you. We ask for your forgiveness. Thank you that Jesus died for me and rose again. So I can be in relationship with you. I believe in Jesus. I choose Jesus as ruler over my life. Thank you for bringing peace to my life and the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If this is your first time accepting Jesus as the Prince of Peace over your life, uh, please let someone know. Please let the person next to you or the friend who brought you along or let me know. We'll love to celebrate with you and to support you. I also encourage you to check out Jesus for yourself in the Bible. You can find a Christian friend to read with so that you can ask your, fresh, your questions and uncover who Jesus is together. 
Or perhaps you can read it for yourself and come back to church next week and share what you've read. I suggest reading the book of Luke in the Bible. We looked at it today, and it's a great way to see who Jesus is and how he brings peace to you and to the world. To finish up, the sermon today is reflected in the song, O Holy Night. I'll read verse 3 for us, and I'll add some remarks as I read it out. It says this. Yeah, thanks, Zoe. It, it says this. The king of kings, in other words, the ruler and the prince, lay thus in lowly manger. In all our trials, and even in our chaotic world, he's born to be our friend. Truly, he taught us to love one another, for us to be peacemakers. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. The gospel here is the good news of Jesus, that he brings peace. Change shall he, shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease, which means that there will be, which means that there will be ultimate peace. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. So, let all within us, here in Kogra, in this building, praise his holy name together. So we'll sing this song now as our song of response to the good news we've heard today. So I'll invite the music team up, and please stand. <laughs> 